this by now. Hi there. Before you start listening to our podcast today, we'd just like to let you know that during editing, we realised we had a massive technical issue and the sound is not as high quality as you may have come to expect from us by now. We apologise for this instance. Thank you for your patience. Hello and welcome to podcast 28 from Football Adanya. I'm Michael Statham and I'm here with podcast regulars James Rowe and Michael Bell to discuss everything Dutch football. This time our podcast will serve as a preview to the Netherlands games against England and Portugal as Ronald Koeman prepares to make his Aranha debut and the Eredivisie title race will also be discussed. That and much more to come, including your questions that were sent in, are answered. We're available to listen and download on SoundCloud, iTunes and our YouTube channel. Enjoy. Guys, I think we should start by talking about the the call-ups, the squad that Ronald Koeman has called up for his first game in charge. Um, William Jameson asks, which names of the first-time call-ups would you like to see get significant playing time in the friendlies? Uh, Michael, would you like to start off on that one? They've had some exceptional talents come through in the Netherlands and made their debuts at a young age. You know, most recently, like Wesley Snyder and Van der Vaart, they were in the team at 18, and I think Justin Kluivert, for where Netherlands are now, is an exceptional talent. He needs to be in the squad as soon as possible. He's only 18, but he showed against Heronbein at the weekend. He's in great form. Um, he gave Denzel Dumfries absolute nightmares during the, the first half, tore him to bits. And um, I think we, Netherlands need a really exciting player to replace Iron Robin. I think Clivert's just got a bit more you know, pace, a bit more trickery than even a Memphis or a, a Promise. Um, especially at um I can't wait to see him in action. I can't see, can wait to see um, Will Weghorst, just to see what he brings to the, the team. Um, for AZ this season, he scored 21 goals. He's an absolute menace for defences. He gets in their faces. Um, I think he's a bit more aggressive than Bas Dost is, and I can't wait to see if he can hit a ground run. And he scored in his debut for the under-21s when he made his one appearance for them. Now it's against Portugal, so maybe I'll make his debut for the national team against Portugal. Yeah, my personal uh, preference would be Hans Hartlebo. Uh, he's been playing in Italy for a year and a half now, and um, obviously playing in a defensive league, which is defensively uh, full of quality. In Serie A, I think he would have picked up a lot. And considering the trials and tribulations that the Netherlands have had in the last two qualifying campaigns in a defensive way, um, for him to start on, on a good, strong footing would show uh, would show a good pathway going forward, I believe. I agree with that. Hans Harterbuzz is a, a great right back, and I hope that he does get some more minutes for the Netherlands. Uh, one that I would pick out as one I'd like to see get a lot more time. He's he's obviously been in the squads before, but Matthijs de Ligt, um, I just think that he's got such a massive future with the Dutch setup that I'd like to see him get a lot more time. In terms of a newcomer, um, Hustil, because I think uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum hasn't really ever been excellent for the Netherlands playing behind the striker. The Dutch need someone who can play behind um, the main forward player and offer a bit more of a threat in the box. Someone who can link up the play a bit better. And I just think Till is that energetic, hard-working midfielder who can add that little bit more threat, really. Um, so the other first timers that we've got in the squad, um, uh, Michael, would you like to profile the rest of those players? 
the five new faces obviously got Justin Cliver, um, Bob Beghorst, Gus Till, um, Hattabor, and the third is a player again called up is Marco Bizot, the goalkeeper, who joined in the summer and I think it's been excellent for him. Um, he had a good game against Feyenoord at the weekend, made a few good saves, one ex- exceptional save from Jorgensen in the first half. He's just been a very steady goalkeeper and I think he's been showing that AZ finally in his career that he's ready for for the national team. He, he came through Ajax, he went to Groningen, went off to Belgium for a year with Genk back in Holland with AZ and I think he's having the best season of his career so far and he, he definitely deserves to be um, for a choice in the moment I think Zoe and Sillison will be ahead of him but he's a good backup to have. Um. Michael, I'd just like to go back to the point you made about um, Bastost. Do you, do you think that, realistically, Wout Verkhorst is someone who can be better than Dost and can play a lot of games for the Netherlands? Is he the best option that the Netherlands have got up front at the moment? Because I have my doubts. He's he's mid, mid-20s now. He hasn't got much more potential left in him. He has got a move to... Um, a big European league perhaps to look forward to I think he, he's probably, probably a bit better than the Eredivisie has to offer now um, but unless he really succeeds in another European league I'm not convinced that he can score the goals that the Dutch need to beat um, all the opponents that they will face I think Bastos will just have that little bit extra quality having played in a more demanding league and proving himself in the Portuguese league scoring goals are fun he's almost got a rate of a goal per game Um do you think that Vekhorst is better than Dost? Um, better is difficult to say, but I've never really been sold by Dost in a Netherlands shirt. Um, I just don't think we've ever played to his strengths, so maybe Kumin will play a more direct game, which would help with Dost. I mean, you need to get more crosses into the box for Dost to be efficient. It's the same with Vekhorst. He's tall, he's strong, he likes to hit the ball, and he and he does miss a lot of chances for AZ, but I just think he's got something that gets under the skin of the defence as well. Once you see some fight, I don't really see that with Doss. I don't see him bullying defenders. I think with Weghorst, he's going to give fouls away. He might get a yellow card here and there, but he's going to rile defences. And I don't think Doss has got the aggression to really um, wind up defenders. And now I see that um, from Weghorst. I don't think he, in the future he's going to be the number one striker. I think once Vincent Janssen comes back, if he starts scoring goals again, then he's automatically, I think, still, at this moment, the best choice in everyone's have until some of the younger generation come through. Um, I even think Luke De Jong is a bit unlucky to, to miss out. I think he's been okay for PSV this season. He scored that wonderful overhead kick. Um, but I just want to see Red Cross in action. I know he's probably not the best striker in the world. He is middle through his 20s, but given a chance he's confident 21 goals in fair games for AZ this season nine of those in cup games um, I think he might suffer something up front that we've not seen so far I, I, just to add to that um, I think that that Verkhorst has come an awful long way I mean this was a this is a striker who um I spent two years at here at Eclairs where he only managed to score, I think, 20 goals in about 65 appearances. Um, around about that time, there was a mutual transfer to Cardiff in the championship, but that didn't materialise. And it could well be 
for the uh, but he may have a transfer ahead of him in a different European league. But he, he'll work very hard in the next uh, two games, also in the training sessions as well. And I think the mix the mix of Koeman's first squad is something that the national team has been crying out for for a long time. Just a general mix of Hans Hartleball playing for Atalanta. Uh, also as well with uh, Donny van der Beek is on good form at Ajax and, um, and obviously the pace of uh, Justin Kleivert. Uh, Ryan Barbo is on good form at uh, Besiktas. So it's nice that a, a national team manager is finally uh, looking at different areas and trying to piece together for a big puzzle and you also have to remember this is only the beginning you know this is no, by no means a, uh, a finished article I think we'll be seeing squads like this uh, for quite some time I mean there's more games uh, coming up in the summer of course but I think um, when you get down to the Nation League games and, uh, and games of that magnitude you may well see a more streamlined squad but I think it's, uh, it's a promising start from Koeman Great um Having looked at the squad, there is a player who's definitely missing from everyone's eyes, and that's um, Reshley Schneider, who decided to retire now that he's the most highly capped Dutch player in history. Um, he didn't get called up for these two matches, though. What are the opportunities for him, we had a question about this, um, in the future going forward? So, is he likely to still be part of the setup in another role? Um, and will he get that game that he really wants to say goodbye to the fans? I think he will get that game that he wants and I think it all comes down to timing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if the games may be in the autumn, if they have a, a home international that, that might be uh, appropriate. But you've also got to remember this is the, the first squad of a new manager and maybe, it, it, I wouldn't say appropriate is the right word, but maybe it wasn't deemed uh, correct to have Schneider in the squad straight away because the whole assignment that Koeman has got to deal with is to build a competitive squad going forward but I, I managed to see a clip here on the news last night about Snyder saying that he wanted to have a um, he wants to have a farewell game to be able to say goodbye along the line of Ayan uh, Robben when he uh, played against Sweden last October and uh, it's fitting as well you know he's, uh, he's the record international and he's been playing for his country for nigh on, uh, nigh on 15 years so it's um, it's only right that he received such a, such an accolade, but I think timing is a very important factor. I agree with, with James uh, about timing. Um, you got to look at it. Is Kimmins only got maybe four games to prepare for the Nations League, and if we all make it about Schneider and a farewell, then what's he really going to learn um, going ahead to those games against France and Germany? I think after they're done, arrange a friendly for him. Um, organise it with a club that he wants or even a, um, whatever nation he picks it could be Germany it could be Spain played in Spain you might like that um, but right now I think Kuminis needs to look at the players that he's going to use in the competitive fixtures that are coming ahead and uh, we can worry about Schneider later Too true One of the more pressing concerns for Kuman with regards to Schneider will actually be how he's going to replace him in the midfield um, Now one of the tricky things we did before this podcast is we we picked some players who we'd like to see against England and Portugal. Picking an actual starting eleven proved to be very difficult. Um, but you'll notice that actually if you look at the squad, there are some holes perhaps in certain positions. 
such as the strikers we only had Dost and Vekos. It's going to be one of those two that might start up front. Um, one of the other holes might be at left-back. There's only one recognised left-back there, and that's going to be Patrick Van Aanholt at Crystal Palace. Um, Michael, who would you have uh, starting against England, and what would the formation be for you, in your opinion? What would you like to see, or do you think Kuma will pick differently from yourself? For the game against England, um, I think you'll switch up between the games. I think maybe against England, you'll play a traditional 4 3 3 um, then against Portugal away, you might even try out five three two. Um, I think you remember that Feyenoord he did that before Van Hal did it at the World Cup. Um, it was really based. Everyone was saying he kind of copied Cummins' Feyenoord formation going into you know, twenty fourteen and how well that worked. And um, I think you might try again against Portugal away, but against a home, um, I'd like to see four three three. And let's go with Silasen and goal. Um, Tete right back, Van Aanholt left back. Um, he might not be the most solid defensively, but going forward he can offer a lot. Van Dijk and De Vrij, um, two experienced centre backs, is in my pairing. Um, midfield of Struman, um, Van der Beek and Proper. I think Proper did very well in the recent friendlies, um, and I think he deserves a chance at the number ten position again. Um, on the wings, I'd go with Promise and Berkus, most natural right wing at the moment, and then Dost up front. Um, and then against Portugal, you could try it with maybe a, a Vekhorst and Memphis up front, someone that's a bit more quicker to go through the middle, and then introduce maybe Delict into the defence. Very interesting, Michael. That's actually like very similar to what I put. Um... But for me, the key thing for Koeman is to try and get the best out of Jorginho Wijnaldum. I think he's one of the best players that the, the squad has got to offer. Um, and they just need to find the best in him again. And I think Koeman can do that. He did do the best um, with what he had at Southampton, where he had all these great players, but he made them even better to help him finish the high in the table. And I just think that if he can refine that part of himself, which he lost to Everton then he'll really lift players such as Wijnaldum. Um, just to add to that, I really like to see Matthijs De Ligt play. Um, he's been fantastic for Ajax, as I said already in this podcast. I just think he needs to be rewarded um, against England. I think it would be do wonders for his confidence to play a 90 minutes again for the national team to show that he is more ready now than he was in his debut against Bulgaria, which went so terribly. Um, James, who would you like to see play? Um, well, if I, if I can, um, uh, I won't give a starting eleven as Michael's already give that, given that to the listeners. I'll pick uh, a defender, a midfielder, and an attacker that I would like to see uh, play uh, against England and Portugal. In terms of defending, Hans Hartable would be. Uh, I'd like to see him start. Uh, midfielder, what I would like to see is Christiel, um because he's been playing with so much confidence and he's been so important for um, for Isaac this season and, and to have so much fight and to have so much um, tenacity at such a young age is very impressive an important, uh, an important fact for the listeners Christiel uh, wasn't actually born in the Netherlands he was born in Zambia and uh, his father was uh, working in different countries and uh, he came along when he did so his place of birth is actually Zambia in Zambia which is an interesting fact and um, 
what I would say as well with uh, attackers, Justin Kleivert. Uh, I've managed to watch Ajax on a regular basis this season, and he's just been an absolute constant threat, uh, threat with lightning pace. And um, if Kleivert does start, it will actually be the tenth uh, father and son combination that would have debuted for the Dutch national team in their history. Um, the questions that we've just answered there were from Abdul, and I'd just like to pass on to you, Michael and James, that he um, he's very appreciative of our podcast and does listen every single time we do one, and we'd just like to say thank you to people like him that are very supportive towards our podcasts. Um, our next question comes from Cam, and he asks, what happens first? Do the Netherlands qualify for the World Cup in 2022? Or will the European coefficient get back to having uh, an automatic Champions League participant? Now, from next season, the Netherlands is due to lose um, one of its Champions League positions in, in terms of qualifying automatically for the group stage. Um, so what will happen first? Will the, the national team get better or will the Dutch league recover? My personal opinion is that the Dutch league will recover. I think if you... Um... If you look at in terms of qualifying uh, for 2022, it's an awful long way away. And um, the Dutch league, as we know, as uh, as fans of the Eredivisie, as um, as people that report on it um, on a regular basis and interview players and managers and have our uh, finger on the pulse a lot of the time, it's an acquired taste in the league. Isn't as bad as what people make it out to be. But of course, when the best team of that league is up against one of the best teams in Italy, in Napoli. And one of the best teams in, um, uh, perhaps the best team in England in Manchester City in the Champions League group, then of course it's going to be a big ask. It wasn't that long ago, but when I said debuted in the Champions League in their debut campaign, they ended up playing Olympiacos, Standard Liège, and Arsenal. Uh, they were very, very unlucky. Uh, and they, if things would have gone differently, they could have well made the round of 16. So uh, I personally think my answer to that question would be that the league will improve. And I think I can see the coefficient improving before um, before um, uh, any potential uh, qualifying for 2022. I disagree. Um, I think no one's more likely to get 2022 um, than the Dutch week to get back to its coefficient just mainly because UEFA are making it much harder for the smaller leagues to qualify I think for next season they're basically making the Champions League more suitable for the bigger English clubs the Italian clubs the Spanish clubs the German clubs and then all the rest of them just have to you know deal with the you know UEFA um, Europa League um, I think if you look at this season PSV are going to win the league but are they going to do anything in Europe next year based on the squad that they've got? Probably not. Um, I think Ajax would have the best chance of doing something in Europe next season, but then again, their team will probably be torn apart in the next two years and not the best players taken away. And as another generation has to come through, I'm going to see over the next few years the same cycle happening again. A team might, might shock again like Ajax did to got to the final last season. Um, but when it comes to the Champions League, where it really matters... I just don't think Dutch teams have the resources and uh, the players to match the big, big boys at the moment. And uh, I think the Dutch national team, these young players are coming through now, they'll go to bigger clubs and the national team will steadily get back to what, what it was 
um, for the likes of Clive Berg Van Til. Um, I just can't see the Dutch clubs going even to knock our stage of the Champions League in the next few years. I have to say, um, I'm in total agreement there, Michael. Um, sorry, James, but I, I just think that uh, it's right with what UEFA are doing. Perhaps if they hadn't changed, there might be more of a chance of gaining back that automatic Champions League place. But now the new rules just make it so much more difficult that it's so unlikely to happen. And yeah, I think you will get the, the occasional shock. One team might make it to the quarterfinals, semifinals of a European competition. But at, uh, as it stands for next season, there won't be not even one automatic representation for the Netherlands in terms of the Champions League nor Europa League out of the five teams that will qualify. So all five will have to go through some sort of qualification to get there. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we've, we're left with a situation where we had this season where only two teams made it through. They were already there automatically. But my point is, we like to see um, the Netherlands struggling once again, purely because of not having enough representatives there. They always struggle in the summer qualifying. And that's mostly because teams such as Ajax lose all their key players and are left with the bare bones and a young squad that has to go again and develop before they become that strong team. It's just so difficult to do now um, to really maintain a challenge in Europe. So that's why I think it'll be a lot harder. I, obviously, it's, we, are, we are a panel and uh, everybody is there to disagree and everything. For me personally, the, the gap between the, the, the European sides is getting smaller and smaller and smaller year on year. And I think regardless of nation and regardless of, um, of the size of a club, I don't think that the ignorance of certain countries and certain clubs are helping uh, in Europe. Like, for example, after the Champions League uh, group stages, the English press was uh, banging the drum that the English teams are back in Europe and all five, are, all five have a fantastic chance of reaching the quarterfinals. And uh, only two managed to get through. Again, people far far too early counting their chickens and chickens coming home to roost and especially in the case of Ajax this season in the European games I was at the home matches for the games against Nice and Rosenborg and they were extremely unlucky in both occasions especially in the match against Nice because they were 2-1 up going into the closing stages and although Nice were pushing Ajax had a couple of chances and by the same token one of those chances could have gone in and they would have been playing at the very least uh, the group phase this year. So it's, um, it's uh, obviously the gap is getting smaller between certain nations. I can understand both your points about UEFA, but the fact remains that it's tournament of football and you will always, always get surprises. You can't manufacture it in such a way that you're always going to get uh, in terms of the four countries and the four leagues they've decided to uh, to protect, if you like, that will only bring you so far. And that can't carry on for years on end. I mean, I've spoken to football fans uh, during the case of this, uh, during the course of this season, and quite a lot have been disinterested just interested, sorry, in the uh, in the Champions League, where, where it's always the same teams all the time. I myself, obviously, my team's in the Europa League this year. This year, I find myself watching more Europa League football than uh, than Champions League football this season. But it makes a nice change. It's nice to learn something that I didn't know, or to watch uh, different types of teams. I find that very interesting. Um, I I like to go back to the point about the World Cup in two thousand and twenty-two. 
as we like to see a lot of the players that are will be coming through by that point in four years' time. They'll be coming from the Dutch under-17s, and they've recently qualified for the Euros tournament, um, which comes this summer, being held in England. Um, hopefully we'll have some good stuff for you on, on our website uh, all about that competition when we get there. Now, with under-17s, I'd just like to offer the floor to you guys. Who do you think are the main players of this squad, and what do they owe their qualification down to that perhaps the senior side can take from it? Um, key players, the captain, Chelsea forward, Tyshawn Radan. Um, he was an exceptional form, scored three goals in two games. Um, had to go back for the youth league game against Real Madrid, scored twice in that for Chelsea. Um, he's an exceptional talent. He's only 17 years old, but he's already playing for Chelsea's development squad, which is around under 23s. Um, you know, you worry about how he's going to get first team chances at Chelsea if he's going to get warned out. But um, right now, he's probably the best young talent in everyone's under 17s have. Um, there's also the Isar Akmar midfielder, Kenzo Woodmine. Um, he's also very highly rated in Akmar. He's actually on the bench tonight for the under 23 side in the first division. He'll be um, probably making his first team debut next season. Um, he's now one to watch out for. I think there's uh, two or three that could do big things in England this summer. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really exciting tournament. Um, and they're coached by Kees van Vondelen, um, who's not the most experienced manager. But what I can say about him is that he's been uh, picked up by Koeman to help manage the senior side for these, these games coming up. Hopefully he goes back to the under-17s to lead them in the competition this spring. Uh, but yeah, m maybe he's, he's only 49, very young um, manager. And he's hoping to bring a bit of that that youth side to the um, to the setup, and maybe he can bring through some of these under seventeens to the senior side. Let's take some predictions for the Netherlands England game as it's coming up this Friday. So, Michael, what do you think the score will be? Um, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think definitely both sides will score. Um, I think looking at the England squad, I think they look a bit weak defensively. Um, they've got a very strong attack. We can see Sterling, um, Jimmy Vardy with our pace, trouble in the Dutch defence. Um, I'm going to go very entertaining 3-2 win for, for Holland. And James? 2-1 uh, to the Netherlands. I think they'll go 2-0 up and I think England will pull one back. So I would say 2-1 to the Netherlands. Yeah, I can. I think the Netherlands will score first. I think there will be goals in it. Um, both teams to score, definitely. But I think England will grab a late equaliser. I don't think it will quite last. I think Kuman will be keen to play some of his more peripheral players and it could lead to a bit of unrest and England might find a way back into the game. So I'm going with 1-1 or maybe a 2-1 win for England. I think a key miss for them will be Harry Kane. He's not going to be in the squad at all. Um, only Marcus, Marcus Rashford or Jamie Vardy can really offer that threat. Um, so I'm thinking it'd be tough for England to find a goal. But the Dutch are far from settled in terms of their own defence. So I think it would be 1-1 or 2-1 to England. Okay. We have one last question. And that is from Ajax Elmati. Um, he likes Ajax, of course. And he would like to hear about the recent happenings in the Eredivisie. Ajax and PSV, 
the title race is going crazy at the moment. Um, we've had all sorts of ups and downs. Current state of play, I have to seven points behind PSV going into the weekend. We are recording this podcast right before the weekend. Um, is it a, a, a one race already? Have PSV sealed the Eredivisie title? I know PSV got hammered last week, 5 now off um, table or anything. That'll be a, a wake-up call. Um, I think they were a shambolic defence for that game. Um, I don't know if we'll see Derek Ocasin get a game anytime soon. <laughs> um, but I think they are, they'll learn from that. They've got a couple of easy home games coming up. Um, I think they'll steamroll them. And then I don't think Ajax have enough games really to pick up. You know, like a, a seven-point swing. I know they, they face each other before the end of the season, but I think it's just going to be um, too much. And the thing about Ajax is they can play well one week, but they've also got a slip up in them. So I think they'll also drop points for the end of the season. I can't see them going from now to the end of the season without dropping any, um, which I think they would need. So I think um, two or three weeks down the line, I'll be talking about it's a case of PSV ever going to win the title. Having watched Ajax against Arno Dinar, where they created chance after chance after chance, but the the result just didn't come, the ball just didn't go in. There's a seven-point gap with seven games to go upon, upon which um, Ajax face uh, PSV on the 15th of April in Eindhoven. I believe PSV also have to go to Alkmaar. Um, there may well be toing and throwing before that time, but... Um, who knows? You know, we've had um, back in 2007, we had a uh, we had a, a, a last day drama where the uh, I said Alkmaar PSV and um, and uh, Ajax themselves were involved in the uh, in the title race on the very last day, and PSV won the league by one goal and the goal difference. So it just goes to show. But um, I I don't believe it's entirely over yet. But I think uh, I think the game against um, I think the game in April, which is uh, three weeks before the end of the season, I think should PSV win the game at home in Eindhoven, and that will be that. Yeah, what an absolute shock that was for PSV five 0 at the Vermont way, like that that was not on the cards at all. But neither were the slip ups for Ajax because I I don't understand how. They weren't playing at their best, but they still created chance after chance against Ardo. They were never in danger of conceding a goal. And it's just that luck that I think they've had this season. It's been an absolute rollercoaster for Ajax fans. All starting when um, Abeldat Nordi collapsed on the pitch in, in a friendly before the start of the season. It was just so tragic. And um, I, I th- honestly thought that they would pick it up throughout the season. And motivation would never be a problem. Always playing with the memory of... of, of um, of Nuri in, in their heads, but it hasn't been enough. And even though they've never had problems in defence this season, it seems to be all in just not scoring enough goals. Klaverts, Nedesh have had off games. They've still got big clubs circling for them because of their potential. They're, they're fantastic players. But ultimately, yeah, the ball didn't go in the back of the net. Klaustian Huntelaar hasn't scored as many goals as he should have done. Um, and I might even stem back to before Huntelaar was in the team. Kasper Dolbuk, um was was in the team before that, and he wasn't scoring the goals either. So it's just been a tough season all round. Just not quite there. But PSV have had a lot of luck along the way. I have to say. I don't know if we'll get James' opinion on Amin Yunus, what he did last week. Oh yeah. My personal opinion is that for someone who's a German international, 
to uh, to ask him to go on a sub uh, a few minutes before time. You can use such a scenario to encourage a, a 17 or 18 year old breaking in to the uh, first team, but someone who's a proven international that um, that is um, saw his transfer rejected to Napoli back in January. Um, I think it's um, I think it's bad. It's bad. Um, it's a bad showing on both parts, not just uh, by the manager by entertaining such a notion, but also the player himself uh, reacting in such a way. Um, I think Eunice will be gone in the summer. From what I understood, the reason why his transfer fell through at Napoli was because he rejected the notion of going on loan to Sassuolo. And uh, he didn't he didn't want to do that. Hence why Napoli said, "Okay, fine, then uh, then we're not going to pursue any further." But I find that difficult to understand because if if that's an opportunity that's come up for someone to kind of get a bit of practice in in Syria for a team which constantly punch above their weight and, and get him ready for the summer, then surely that would be something that would be in his best interest. Yeah, it, when when it happens, Edison Hark. Looked at Eunice. Eunice looked at Ten Hag. Ten Hag looked at Eunice. And Eunice was like, "I am not coming on the pitch." He, his expression on his face, it, oh, it irritated me to no end. But at that point, Ten Hag has to take the initiative. He has to take charge and say to him, "Get on that pitch," you know, and make almost make a scene of it there, embarrass the player. He did get his punishment in the end, but that it looked a little bit weak from Ten Hag, and perhaps the punishment only came retrospective having taken pressure from the media, his other coaches, to give him that punishment. He got what he deserved, though. It's a disgusting professional act from uh, from Eunice. There you go, look at it. From Eunice as well, he's got Kleiber ahead of him, he's playing well, he's got Neres ahead of him, he's playing well. He wants to get into the German World Cup squad. Any chance he can get on the pitch, even if it's just for two or three minutes, he has to take it to try and work his way into the team. Look what's happened, he's been... Trying to get away to the reserves for the next two weeks, he probably won't play again this season unless there's injuries to Clive Ranieri's, and he's not going to make the German World Cup squad. So I mean, it's just a stupid act all around from him. I think. Yeah. And he will be gone in the summer. Like, he's arguing with Napoli right now. He's meant to have signed a contract. They say it has. He says he hasn't. Um, we'll see what happens with that in the summer. Napoli are threatening him with legal action if he doesn't sign for them. Um, you know, it's all a bit of a mess with his career, and it's all stemmed from. Or January, um, but at the end of the day, Ajax have Clive and Neres. Just sorry, they don't need Eunice at the moment. Um, so I just think it's just idiotic on his part. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one last thing we should talk about today on this podcast. Um, we should really talk up RZ. They've just had a terrific season, and today there's news that uh, John van der Bolom has signed a new contract with the Alkmaar side. Um, it was a bit of a surprise for me. If I had heard that news about six months ago, I would have been shocked because I I thought Van der Blom would be on his way out. And um, James, I know you may have shared a, a similar opinion with me, but he, my gosh, has he turned it round? I have to uh, eat a big slice of humble pie. I uh, when we first started to do our pods, I um, I advocated that I thought he was extremely lucky, but he's turned it around, fully embraced the um, the youth setup that. I said have invested heavily in and showing so much confidence in very young players that are paying him back and then some with the confidence he's shown. They've got a cup final coming up against Feyenoord, which I think they will win. 
maybe not in 90 minutes, but I think they'll win that final. And um, it's just it just goes to show that they're reaping the um, they're reaping the benefits of what they've sown through the years, and uh, it's uh, very very good to see. At the start of the season, my predictions that I predicted AZ to have a good season. Um, I thought they had exceptional talents coming through. Um, I had them down for, for fourth. Um, I've done better than that. But I think it's funny, um, at the start of the season, on Twitter, there was a, a Van den Brom out account, um, which tweeted every day that he was still in his job. Um, you don't really see that anymore because now AZ fans love him. You know, it, it's, just, it's just football. One day you're hated. That is hilarious. But you, I tell you what, what he's done so well is he stuck to his principles. He didn't change, he didn't change into the pressure. Um, and even though sometimes RZ still go and get the results that they should do, overall, the job he's done is terrific. They still have an outside chance for title, as ridiculous as that sounds. But um, I think next season, if they can keep the squad together, they could mount a title charge, but we all know that won't happen and some of their best players will be taken away. Vekors, for one, they'll have to start afresh um, in terms of a striker. They have recently signed um, uh, an Eastern European striker called Michalik, um, but he then has to start completely fresh into the team um, and he's just one of many that will be new. Uh, hopefully, they'll keep Hustil and Tunkov Miners, two key players in their midfield. Um, and just a continuation of what they've done, because it would be terrific to see them do it in the Europa League too. Can I make? I was going to say, can I make one final point for this week? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's currently uh, six vacancies ahead of the new season in the Eredivisie. Hidden fame manager Jochen Strebel announced by mutual consent that he was leaving. Um, current VFA Ben Lo manager. Um, Maurice Stein has, uh, has confirmed he has been approached by another club, but he doesn't want to wish. He doesn't want to say which club because the most important thing is uh, is for him to uh, avoid relegation with Faith Venlo, and maybe then there will be some movement in that respect. Leonard Slutsky, the old manager of um, Russia and Hull City. Providing he receives a work permit, will be uh, will be the new manager of Vitesse. So it will be a, a big ma uh, managerial merry-go-round in, uh, in in the summer. I think it will be very very interesting. It will breathe new life into the league, and it will keep us as a, a site very very busy indeed. Uh, thanks to all listeners for listening this evening. We really appreciate it. Feel free to re retweet, follow and like all content. And any questions that you might have in the future, however vague, however off the cuff you may feel they are, feel free to send them through.